You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Amen. I turn your attention to the book of Exodus, the 27th chapter. I give honor again to all of those who have allowed me the opportunity to be here to be a part of this sectional youth revival. And I want to echo the words, how much I commend you for holding to a meeting like this over the years. I appreciate this. Thankful for what this means. Thank you for all the hard work. Thank you, Brother Romine, for opening the church. Thank you to this great worship team for leading us. Haven't they done a great job? Great job. How many of y'all wish you could sing like that? Just be honest, you can't, but you... How many of y'all pretend you can sing like that in the car? You ever pulled up someone next to someone at a red light and you didn't realize you were still really into the song until they busted you? At that point, you just got to own it. Own it. <laughs> Been friends with the Romines for such a long time, longer than any of us would like to admit, really. And uh, I appreciate them in their aged state. I love them and honor them. We're peers, so. Exodus chapter 27 is where we're going. Uh, this, is, this is writing about the altar in the Old Testament, which which was prepared, was built. These guys hired a guy by the name of Bezalel. We won't get into all that, but there's always been people that work behind the scenes to help what makes what happens in the limelight possible. The church is the beautiful culmination of people on the platform and the pew. People that lead worship also being validated by people who clean the restrooms. And anybody in here that feels any type of call to the ministry, let me tell you, I know what it feels like to clean the toilets and then preach to the hundreds that night. That's a good feeling, not a bad feeling. Be involved in serving the church. Now, I'm not telling you I love cleaning toilets. I'm going to be, I don't want to. Thou shalt make an altar of shittim wood, five cubits long, five cubits broad. The altar shall be four square, and the height thereof three cubits. And thou shalt make the horns of it upon the four corners thereof. His horns shall be of the same. And thou shalt overlay it with brass. And thou shalt make his, plant, his pans to receive his ashes, and his shovels, his basins, flesh hooks, fire pans. It sounds horrible, really. Vessels thereof thou shalt make of brass, and thou shalt make for it a gate of network of brass, and upon the net shall make four brazen rings in the four corners thereof, and thou shalt put it under compass of the altar beneath the net may be given to the midst of the altar, and thou shalt make staves for the altar, staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with brass, and the staves shall be put into the rings, and the stave shall be upon the two sides of the altar to bear it. Hallow with board shalt thou make it as it was showed thee in the mount. So shall they make it. Instructions for building the altar. Now, 
I'm going to stop there um, for the sake of your time so that you don't have to stand any longer while I read text. But I want to preach to you tonight on this second night, and I thank the Holy Ghost for what He did in this place last night. It's important for us to remember the Holy Ghost is not an it, it is a who. So if you're here tonight and you've never been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you can and you should receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which means you should be filled with the Spirit of God. And when you're filled with the Spirit of God, well, let me ask if anyone in the crowd knows how it'll be evidenced that you received. Does anybody here know what happens? What happens? What, what do you do? Crowd participation. You speak. You do. You speak in other tongues. That's what happens. Speaking in tongues is not the Holy Ghost, but it's the evidence of the Holy Ghost. It's a language you never cussed in. Language you never talked back to your mama in. Right? It is. We're going to talk about this process because this altar was a part of the repentance process. We have faith and then we have repentance. And repentance moves us forward. And we're meant to have an altar in the apostolic church. And we're a long way from these horns of the altar. We're a long way from this netting. We're a long way from this layout. But some of the principles remain. But we've still got to have an altar in the church. And I want to preach about that a little bit under this topic. Uh, when the altar stops saving people. Dangerous thing. When the altar stops saving people. Is that right? Will you preach with me for a little while? I'll try not to preach too long. Okay? I always try not to preach too long. Throw your hands towards heaven. Would you call on the name of the Lord Jesus? Come on, really call on his name. You magnificent young people, young adults in this room. I applaud you for being in the house of the Lord. But if you know he's worthy, come on, call on his name right now. God, make my tongue as the pen of a ready writer that I might preach with clarity and wisdom. That I might be able to preach in a way that is palatable, receivable. That it makes sense. That it ministers to the entire body here tonight. Help us not to be bound generationally. Help us not to be held captive by the thoughts of our own minds nor the failures of our past. But help us tonight to have a powerful move of your spirit in this house. I pray it in Jesus' name. Let everybody say amen. 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 God bless you. You may be seated. I am so delighted that my family's with me. It does not always happen that we're 45 minutes from home and they can come. Be with me, my beautiful, godly wife. Guys, listen. Marry well. Okay? Girls, you too. If they're not marrying material, they're not dating material. I know that's old, but that's still right. Love having my kids here with me. I found something having four kids, and especially being in youth ministry for so many years, I am, Brother Russell, I think, I think at a place in my life where I'm concerned as I've ever been with what is being modeled. What we model matters. Okay? People are watching. Those of you that are in the youth group, you might not know it, but the ones younger than you are watching you. You can watch Luca to know that that's happening. Watch the younger kids. The way they sing, you'll notice sometimes they pace like the teenagers. We got to be careful what we said. I, I was reminded 
of this a few years ago when I was cutting hair. My, my youngest son, and I wouldn't embarrass him for anything, but he still teases me about this story. He was a little bit younger, about four years old at the time. And, and when, you have, when you have four guys in the house, you learn how to cut hair yourself. Come on now. You know how much a haircut costs? If you're going to get a good haircut at all, buy some clippers for 20 bucks. That's what I'm talking about. Bought clippers. Everybody got buzz cuts for a while. <laughs> it took a while. I remember cutting my little guy's hair, and he was just a little thing. Still in, that, still in that phase, everything he did, he wanted to be like dad. I love that. Some of the dads know that goes quick. And uh, I'd finished cutting his hair, got it all done. He knows what I'm about to say. I got it all done and showed him the mirror. I said, what do you think? He's a little guy. He said, looks good, dad. And then he was studying, he said, but why don't you cut me a bald spot right here so I can look like you? <laughs> I didn't know whether I wanted to hug him or punt him across the room. I... <laughs> but they're modeling. When I was a kid, I, I found out that I was modeling before I knew it. Big part of the worship culture, demonstrative worship was a result of what I saw in the church. I thank God I went to a worshiping church. Yeah, I do. I, I thank God that I was a part of a church where when the music got to going, hands got to going with it. People began to lift their voices and sing, and some of them couldn't sing at all. Come on now. I grew up in a small southern church, and I think at one point we had a lot more guitars than we had anything else. But we had good church. And we had the kind of church that every now and then I can still remember. And I won't say his name because they, you, some of you might wouldn't know. But brother so-and-so, it would hit him just right. The spirit would hit him just right. And it was like he had touched 220. You ever been in a service like that? The kind of service where something. It starts in the knee. You know the knee buckle kind of. I'm, sister so-and-so. You're laughing because you know. But I'm going to tell you this. I found out over the years I'd much rather be in that church. A church that is not embarrassed to worship God. A church that is not embarrassed to praise God. Let me say it this way. I like being in churches that can still remember what he brought them from. In groups of people that remember. When I was a kid pastor, I learned how to dance because I watched people who could remember what God had brought them from. When I was just a young boy, I wanted to dance in church so bad. Anybody ever pray to dance in church? I did. I prayed to dance. I, was, I can take you to the spot in Cleburne, Texas. We lived there for three years, and we had one of those old-fashioned prayer lines, Brother Smith. Remember those old-fashioned prayer lines? Who's been through a prayer line? Yeah, not enough of you. Now, I remember I started at the back, and I was so sincere, just my pure little mind, Everett, the whole time down. I didn't know you could just dance. Honest to God. I didn't know I could just jump around a little bit. I thought the Spirit had to hit me to dance. 
And so I'm crying the whole time, and I'm praying, God, I want to dance. I just want to dance. Ugly cry. When I got to the front, and Brother Ashley laid hands on me, and I don't know whoever else, my mom said that my two little legs looked like they were moving 100 miles an hour. When I finally stopped dancing, we had those old mobile altars. You know what I'm talking about, the mobile bench altars. And little as I was, I had danced one of those completely into a circle. Don't remember any of it. Here I am some 30 plus years later. I still want it. I mean, I still want it. I don't want manufactured, manipulated I don't want scotch tape church. I don't want stapled together. I don't even want it duct taped together. I want a real, sovereign, powerful move of God where men and women come to a place where they say more than anything else. We want a move of God. The kind of move of God that hits you whether you're 7 or 70 where you walk out of the house saying I know it was the Lord. I, I, I didn't feel like this when I showed up but, but something different is on me now. And I'm going to tell you this, we ought to feel better when we leave church. If you feel the same when you leave as you do when you came, then it's not the preacher's fault and it's not, it's not the worship team's fault and it's definitely not God's fault because everything you need, he is more than able to supply. Come on, I wish I could get a witness in the house that has found out you don't have to leave the church the way you come. But when you come with your mind set on him, when you come with a determination in your... You don't need anybody else to dance for you. You don't need anybody else to shout for you. You don't need anybody else to wear you into a life. When you start thinking about the goodness of God, when you start thinking about what you want from the Lord, you ought to nudge your neighbor and tell him, you can't hold me back. Anybody remember that old song, Ain't No Grave? No grave going to hold my body down. Now, we'll sing stuff like, ain't no grave going to hold my body down. But we will let our neighbor at church hold us back. Now, I've got to tell you. I'm just going to let this secret out if you don't know it. There's a lot of people that are really taking note of Pentecostals. <laughs> they really are. They're like easing to the side of the religious spectrum. And they're finally saying, what are you guys doing? They're giving us their churches. You know that, right? They're asking our preachers to come pastor their people. When the patriarchs and the forefathers were having tomatoes thrown at them, they were a long cry, but we're a long. A few generations ago, just a couple generations ago, people had to be embarrassed about talking in tongues. Now everybody talks. Everybody talks in tongues. You, if, you're if you're still nervous to tell people you talk in tongues, that don't even make sense anymore. 
Everybody. Holy Ghost is falling in the Nazarene church. Do a little historical study. That should not be happening. It's happening. Baptist church. It's happening in the cat. You're right. Everybody's getting the Holy In the last days. We preached it. We've preached it for decades. And yet here we sit. But here's what's happening. There's something about us that still keeps us different. But the bachelor... There's a lot of things that they're trying to do in non-denominational churches. There's a lot of things they're trying to do. And I thank God for the fact that they're coming towards us. That's why I get concerned. Let me, can I just share with you for a second? I do get concerned when our songs, all we do is regurgitate what they're producing. I think we can do it. I think we've got the anointing to do it. But I think we need to be mindful. Those of you in here that are talented and gifted and anointed, write some music. Write some songs. Get some Holy Ghost songs. But I'm going to tell you, if you would walk in the average church across town and you'd take a look around, with a few exceptions, a lot of the way we host our facilities, do our work, even in many instances set up our instruments, do our stage designs, it is not what makes us different. I'm going to tell you what makes us different. What makes us different is we think that people can walk in wounded and walk out with a powerful demonstration of the Holy Ghost. What makes us different is the altar in the apostolic church. What makes us different is this is a place where drug addicts find freedom. Come on, i got to preach what I feel here tonight. What makes us different is more than the way we dress and more than the way we look. No, no, it's the power of the altar when we come together and people find freedom and liberty and authority. You ought to throw your hands towards heaven and say, thank God for the altar. Let me ask you that question. Does anybody, anybody remember a good altar you were a part of somewhere? Anybody remember one of those altars where you just didn't care who was watching? One of those altars where you knew it was just dripping. Just people coming to sweet sister so-and-so trying to give you the dabbo. You know the hanky dab? Uh, 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 uh. Anybody remember an altar where you danced yourself into somebody? How do you say excuse me in tongues? In a moment like that, you don't care, do you? Because in a moment like that, in an apostolic altar, it's like a dinner for two. And it's just you and God. And you're recognizing I can't do it by myself. And I cannot make it on my own. But we have not a high priest which cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. But when I approach him. When I come to him in the altar, whether I dance my way in or whether I weep my way in, I have found that he will meet me there. I'm going to tell you where he won't meet you. I don't believe that God is interested with our traditionalism.
I do not think that God is interested with our motions, but I know very assuredly based on the word of God that when we are sincere in our praise, that he will set up a throne and inhabit the praise of his people. I don't care how many times you've heard it. It's as true today as it's ever been. There's not much life can get you into that worship cannot get you out of. And we find it at an altar. How many are thankful for an altar? Let me, let me ask this. Anybody remember the time at an altar you got the Holy Ghost? You didn't care what anybody thought of you. But Jason, did. you didn't you care. In that moment, you didn't care. Right? Brother Kaufman, some, nobody can make you be passive when you're really desperate in an altar. How many of you ever seen a miracle in an altar? You ever seen amazing stuff? I'll never forget the night we baptized Chris. Chris was an absolute addict. We baptized him. He repented. We baptized him in Jesus' name. One of those in the middle of service baptisms. Those are good. Right? Those are, those are, those are better for more than stats. Those, those will mess your church up. That'll make Sister Never Moves get up. That, uh huh. Middle of church, crying. We take him up to the baptismal. Everybody knows it's about to be baptizing. We're trying to go on with service. You got to love new people. I love new people that just don't care. People that have never tasted freedom. Chris comes running through the side, still wet. You know how it is when they didn't take time to dry off after that. T-shirt wet. Just dry off. That's what the towels are. He didn't care though because he wasn't worried about impressing anybody. The only applause he was looking for were nail scarves. He comes running through the side of the sanctuary. We're trying to go on with service, trying to get back into worship. And he runs to the front of the altar and reaches down into his pocket. And the Lord knows that he pulled out a pack of cigarettes and crack cocaine and slammed it on the altar in front of everybody. And we had a bunch of people get wide-eyed. But it all changed when he said, I've been trying to find freedom from this for years. But something just happened when... Come on, either we believe this or we do not. I believe in the power of the altar. I believe there's drug addicts in your city that if they could get a taste of this power. I believe that there's drunkards in your town that if they could get a taste of this power. You ought to throw your hands towards heaven and give God praise right now. You ought to walk by faith right now believing that it can be done. And I'm telling you, it's the will of God for your church. Every church in section four, it is the will of God that we have revival. We have been preaching about it. We have been shouting about it. We've got to watch it. But we're not going to have it because of our songs. They've got songs. We're not going to have it because of our sermons. They've got sermons. But if we can get anointed preaching and powerful altar. 
You'd be amazed by what good church can fix. Just real good church. And it won't come because your branding looks good. Now, I'm a, I'm, I love marketing. You ought to do well. We're past stick figures. Spend, spend the money. Do the best you can. But if you don't have a marketing director, and if you don't have a three-part harmony, and if you don't have a bunch of instruments, but you've got a powerful altar. I'm supposed to be past this in my notes, but I'm still waiting on him, okay? If you can have a powerful... Hold on. Young people, hear me right now. Brother Poole, where we, Brother Poole, when we have our youth services, we are not playing church. When we gather in our youth meetings, we are not playing church. Whether you do it on Wednesday night or Friday night, we are not getting together so we can play kids' church and we can practice until we're old enough. I believe your friends ought to be getting the Holy Ghost in your... Come on, anybody believe what I'm preaching in this revival right now? I believe in our youth services. Your friends ought to be walking up to the altar. And before they know what hits. So yes, practice with your guitar. Get your chords down. If you're going to play the keys and you want to hit some fat notes and get the minors, do it. That's fine. We practice so as to not embarrass or make the crowd uncomfortable. But that's not what's going to change them. But you let one of those kids who's been cutting themselves and nobody knows. You let one of those young adults who's been fighting depression so bad that they've been having spirits tell them kill themselves for the last month. You let one of them walk in and feast on the fruit of the spirit. Can I preach what I feel right now? Can I preach this? We want to see the gifts of the Spirit in operation in our church. But I'm going to tell you, for us to see the gifts of the Spirit in operation, we've got to become more concerned about the fruit of the Spirit being produced. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, temper. You know what I'm talking about, right? The fruit of the Spirit. The problem is when we never have visitors, we come in feeling entitled to the fruit of the Spirit. And so we're getting fat on things that... We ourselves are meant to be producing for those that gather in. So that the kid who shows up on a bus that hasn't been told he's loved for the last. When they walk into your sanctuary. I remember the, I remember the prom queen looking at me when I was in high school. Prom queen said, I don't know why I cry here. I said, you feel the power. Of the Holy Ghost right now. If you'll surrender to that. I can still see those little feeble hands. I can still see. You got nothing to be embarrassed about. You got nothing to be intimidated of. The only time you need to be intimidated. Is if we try to do this on our own. But if we will let the power. And the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. Get into our altars. The sky is literally the limit. As to what can happen. The revival you've been wanting can occur. If we will have power packed altars. Throw your hands towards heaven and pray for powerful altars in your church. Ah.
Praise God. You may be seated. I love, I love preaching of David. I love looking at his life. I'm on a unique journey right now through the Bible in 30 days. I don't say that to impress you. I say that for you to pray for me. Uh, and I'm listening to, not just reading. I'll be very transparent. I'm with a group of guys. I, I tried in a text thread to say, hey, does anyone want to consider 90 days through the Bible? And some loudmouth friend said, why don't we do 30 days through the Bible? It's been informative. It's been amazing to me to watch, to see chronological order play out when you're taking in that much scripture at one time. The overview of scripture is quite staggering. I've recently come through looking at the life of David, what he endured, this relationship, the tension with Saul. It's really staggering, Brother Rutherford, to look at this and, and see what happened here. This morning... This morning I was in the cave of Adullam with him and thinking about these who had come to him. I find myself considering Saul, that javelin that comes, and Jonathan and the arrows that were fired. And this relationship between Jonathan and David. And Jonathan was actually much older than David. I used to think they were peers when I was younger. This is a unique relationship that's happening here. But Jonathan got a spear thrusted him too. His dad was just, short temper would be an understatement. He ends up going mad. He's tormented. Remember this? And this Saul, Saul loses it. Got this scene where David, in fact, ends up in this cave. Saul comes in to relieve himself. And, and you know, David, David could have killed him. Most of us in this room, we just said, the Lord set him up for me. We would have. We'd have taken it into our own hands. But he just, you know, he takes that little piece. He cuts it off. I feel like the Lord showed me this, and this is the issue here. If David, if David would have killed Saul in that moment, he would have actually not just destroyed Saul, but he would have hurt the kingship as a whole. It would have been a domino effect. Think of all the men who had been charged with guarding the king, all of those men who would have walked home, whose wives and children would have never looked at them the same. The security of the kingship as a whole, a future position that David would hold, the position as a whole would always be under a different level of question mark had David acted in the moment. So it's very, it's very important that we guard and we are intentional. And I think for most of David's life, he tries to live as an intentional leader, a man after the heart of God. He makes... An incredible mistake when he should have been at war. And we understand that. Tragedy of David's life is that his greatest highlight and his greatest failure all revolve around war. It's just one time he went and one time he didn't. And the reality in this room tonight is you didn't choose whether or not you would be born into a generation of war. It chose you. And God chose you and saved you for this moment. But in the life of David, he ends up having a man by the name of Joab, who I would like to tell you just a little bit about. Joab is David's military leader. He is this great, great leader of David's army. He assists David in the killing of Uriah when David makes that monumental mistake. 
But there's something about Joab. There's, there's something deep inside of him that seeks vengeance too quickly. He's ready to destroy too quickly. To take blood. To spill blood. To find vengeance. Somewhere along the way, regardless of what the king spoke, Joab decided he would make his own decisions. But he's a mighty man of war. He's incredible, in fact. You study the life of Joab, he's no small character. There are people in Scripture that are extremely vital that we never even get their name. There's women who will forever be preached about from the pages of Scripture that we never even get a name. But Joab, Joab gets mentioned over a hundred times. He's critical in the Old Testament. His name means Yahweh is the Father Staggering thing about him is the Bible never records him losing a battle. Joab was bad to the bone. Joab was a guy you wanted on your side. If you had a bully, you wanted Joab. If you were a guy that didn't want to go to war, you wanted a Joab. The problem was somewhere along the way, Joab decided his voice was as vital as the king's voice. Uh huh. He decides that it's okay to kill people that the king says not to kill. He kills Abner, kills Amasa against David's orders. But it's that son, it's that Absalom, it's that, huh, it's that one. It's that one that had been kind of pleaded with. Don't, don't, don't let him die. Don't let him die. But Joab, Joab couldn't get away from his own vengeance. Joab couldn't get away from his own impulse. And in the heat of the battle, hanging by his hair. Joab, we, we shouldn't touch him. We should get him down. Nobody's going to tell me who doesn't even come to battle how I should treat the battle. You know, that's, that's intentional because that's how we live. Hear me now. Out of nowhere making decisions that we think won't have future ramifications. It's a dangerous thing to react based on your own arrogance. And somewhere along the way it happens to Joab. He gets himself as David is aging in years into an allegiance with Adonijah. And while this is forming, Adonijah is coming to this place. He's sacrificing cattle. He's setting himself up to be the next king. David is waning in years. He's getting towards the deathbed and his life is moving on. And, and Joab, who has started making the call on his own a long time. Can you imagine? I've got to tell you. Can you imagine that after killing Absalom, Joab comes back and David is mourning over Absalom. And Joab walks up and says, get out there and greet those men. David had given enough compromise through that situation with Uriah and some of the battles. That he lets Joab talk to him like a Get out there and greet those men, Joab said. Don't you show those men weakness. They fought for you today. Something got twisted in his mind. 
When you start thinking that the king works for you. You with me now? When you start thinking that the king snap, when you snap your feet, you listen to me, king. But it's a dangerous thing that can happen quickly. Where we think that the king should work on our command. He forms himself with someone he thinks is stronger in Adonijah and begins to build an allegiance. But oh, David, he knows that it's meant to be Solomon. He begins to do a work. He begins to set this up. But he has a conversation in his death bed he begins to talk about what's happening here and his fading voice still full of authority he begins to speak with Solomon begins to talk Adonijah gets absolutely terrified about what's happening because he knows that he has set himself up falsely to be the king it was not meant to be his favor Solomon's getting paraded Adonijah gets fearful he runs to the altar and he grabs a hold of the horns of the altar seeking for mercy and somehow mercy is granted mercy is granted everybody in this room is the result of mercy that was granted if you deserved it it wouldn't have been mercy but you found a place where you clung to the altar and the mercy of God was bestowed upon you but David's fading voice speaking to his son, Solomon. He said, when it comes to Joab, don't let his head touch the ground. He told him, he said, you got to kill him. Because I found out that when you let a plague live. What are you so frustrated about, David? What are you so mad about? I'm mad that he perverted the word of the king. And if you really want to know what's troubled me to my dying breath. He killed my kid as if it wouldn't matter. And told me to suck it up. My, 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 I feel the Holy Ghost right now. They send the servant to the temple. And Joab is clinging to the horns of the altar. He said, come with me. The, the king has called for you. You're going to die, Joab. Imagine it. Let it be played out on your mind. Joab clings to the altar and turns his head and says, no, you'd have to kill me here. Somewhere in his mind thinking as long as I keep a hold of these altar horns that they won't kill me. That's not what this is for. If others can find mercy then maybe I can find mercy. The problem was Joab had misrepresented the power of the altar. He was working the altar on his behalf rather than truly reverencing it. Most people when they address theologian scholars agree about Solomon is that Solomon had a photographic memory. They believe that he immediately went to Exodus 21 in his mind. Understanding in Exodus chapter 21 verse 14. And if a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile thou shalt take him even on the altar that he can die. If he doesn't want to come kill him there. 
at the bleeding of animals and the blood that had been shed. Now a human man whose hands wrapped around the horns of the altar. The piercing, the screaming, the overwhelming sensation of the servant coming back in. Something that the temple was not meant to see. Joab clinging to the altar. The problem was to him the altar was a game. And I find myself overwhelmed to tell you tonight. I've watched too many come to altars and still lose everything. This is not a game. This is not a game. I don't come up here so the pastor will think I'm living okay. I don't come up here so the youth pastor will stay off my case. I don't come to the altar simply because it's something we do. And I thank God for what's been modeled. But I don't come to the altar simply because the elders used to come to the altar. When I come to the altar in the apostolic church, I thank God that I don't have to bring an animal, but I do bring myself. And when I lay on the altar and when I pray, before God I'm not simply doing it to find favor with men I'm doing it to find favor with God brother Carson what are you what are you preaching about we're not we're not killers no but I felt prompted of the Holy Ghost today I didn't want to preach this but I felt prompted of the Holy Ghost to talk about a different kind of killer in the room Because in the New Testament, we're instructed that death and life is in the power of your tongue. And I'm hearing and seeing too many people taking public shots at King's kids. It comes through little things like this. It starts with clicks in the youth group. It starts with little formations. It start, I thank God for this section of revival, okay? It, because it comes, Brother Russell, through statements like this. Well, you know, but the way they do at their church. You know, they believe most. They're not quite as whole. Come on now. Starts with little things like this. Can you believe she wore that? She don't even look right in that. I wish it wasn't true, but in a crowd this size, we've got kids in here that have thought about taking their life in the last month. I know whereof I speak, so hear me clear right now. You would not want it to be known that it was you who killed them with your tongue. But I want you to know that when you speak against King's kids, he takes notice. It's not about, I'm not talking about physical assault. I'm talking about isolation. I'm talking about the way we speak to one another. I'm talking about the way we interact with one another. The way we engage with one another. It happened in this altar last night when you begin to pray and you begin to worship together. The Lord sent something through me. I knew what I wanted to preach tonight. I knew where I wanted to go. But man, there is something that the Lord began to stir with me and wanted me to relay to you that if He can, if the enemy can convince you with your words to bring a wedge of division between you and your youth group or bring a 
a wedge of division between you and your group. He doesn't need you to do anything that's outright ugly. He just needs you to say some things that makes them feel dumb. It is not the will of God that we wound each other with our words. Is that all right? It is not the will of God that we wound. I know you've heard it before, but I got to tell you, here's what I know happens. I can't even believe she got the solo. Hashtag you're flat. Here's what happens. Here's what happens in youth groups. Why is he preaching a sermon at? All he's doing is saying what the youth pastor said. Oh, yeah, let the pastor's son know. Stuff like that don't happen? Stuff like that happens right there. Stuff like that is happening. But I'm telling you, God's trying to unify this generation of the church in a way like we have never been unified before. He's trying to bring us together. And what he's bringing us together. Listen, I'm going to tell you what he's bringing us together in. He has given this generation an absolute love for doctrine. He has given this generation a love for purity in the face of pure evil of the world. And he has given our generation a fresh love and appreciation for the altar. So here's what I'm here preaching to you tonight. It's a dangerous thing if our altar stops saving people because they can't even save us. Us. And I'm going to tell you when the altar stops saving you is when you treat the altar like you can still live any way you want when you leave. When you... I can't treat the altar any way I want and then walk out past the Romine and decide that when I leave, I can get in the van and I can talk to Rachel and I can begin to run you up one side and down the other and talk about the, if he'd get this and if he'd do that. And, I, and, and you listen, some of you think you can say anything you want as long as you put a crying emoji behind it. You know, I'm just kidding. No, you're not. you got an ugly spirit. And you can't have sweet and bitter water flowing from the... Man, I know what I'm talking about tonight. I'm, in a whole, I'm right in somebody's business right here tonight because I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help your youth group have revival. There are youth groups in this room right now. You're wondering, why are we not having new young people? Why are we not having kids? It's because our altars are not even saving us. Our altars are not saving others because they're not saving us. Because we're treating the altar as nothing more than a launching pad back into acting however we want. But I'm telling you, our altars are meant to be greater than that. They're meant to be more powerful. Does anybody still believe that when you get the Holy Ghost, you get God on the inside of you? And he comes inside of you and begins to work I mean, things that are of the enemy begin to flood out of you and begin to leave you. And things that you could not produce on your own, the Holy Ghost. Stand, but, but answer a question. Hold on. How many of you know you'd be a mess if it wasn't for the Holy Ghost? How many of you know? Don't raise your hand unless you just really feel comfortable. So I, some of you know you'd be a drunk if it wasn't for the Holy Ghost. Some of you know you'd be an absolute heathen if it wasn't. Nobody like you because not many. Some of you like, not many like me now. Imagine you without the ghost. But when we get the Holy Ghost, it really ought to change the way we talk. It really ought to change the way we interact. There is one thing that hell cannot stop. He cannot, he cannot.
cannot stop a unified youth group that believes in encouraging one another and building one another up and lifting one another up. Come on, we bear one another's burdens. We strengthen one another because to us the altar is not a game. The altar is where we find power. I want you to throw your hands towards heaven because I'm going to come against something right now. I curse every spirit of isolation and every spirit of depression that has been coming against young people in this room. Some of it is validated, but some of it is not. Some have thought people were talking about them when they were not. I come against those lies of the enemy that have tried to get you isolated from the church. While we're praying right now, I want you to pray. God, take any wayward tongue from me. Take any divisive tongue from me. I don't want anything in my life that brings division to the church. Woo, God. Come on, throw your hands towards heaven and pray. My, 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 my. Come on, you chose more at the altar than just wearing a suit. You chose more at the altar than just to speak in tongues. You chose to be crucified with Christ. He said, I'm crucified, but nevertheless, it's not I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. Somebody lift your voice and shout, the altar matters. Just stand with me. Stand with me. I'm not ready to even, but I'm, just stand. I'll think about it. I understand the Old Testament tabernacle process, and I recognize that the veil was rent, and I thank God. I hate the gruesome nature of the price that was paid, but I thank God that the veil was rent. But there's still something for us in that structure to recognize and understand. You know that brazen altar, that brazen altar in the Old Testament, and that, it was bigger than everything else by far. In fact, every other piece of furniture could fit on the face of that altar. And maybe that's important to pause there and tell you if you're going to be involved in any area of music or ministry or anything that deals with platform or giving or leading or feeding, if you're going to do any ministry in the church, unless you can get it on the altar first, it can't be effective. It starts. (laughs) You enter with thanksgiving and praise, but you come to that altar. I try to start every morning picturing myself, dragging myself to that altar. How can I have this without that? How can I play that without that? How could we have power without that? How many remember the last piece of furniture before you, before you got into the veil? Anybody remember the last one? Come on, this is a quiz from back when felt boards on the Sunday school. Anybody remember that? The altar of, I'm hearing it, incense. What's it? Did anybody remember what happened there? What did it represent? Praise, right? Praise. It's, it is. Celebration, praise. How did this thing work? Anybody remember? 
Where'd they bring the coals from to make this work? They brought coals from there to make this work. Pastor, I am concerned. If we're not careful in the apostolic church, we think if we have good praise, we'll have good altar. We flipped it. You can't have good praise unless you have good altar. You got nothing to get incense up if you don't have. We got to have powerful altars, y'all. Anybody okay with what I, are you okay with this? I'm, I got to have a powerful altar because my, my friends are going to hell. Kids you sit next to in homeroom tomorrow are going to hell. That ought not make you excited. It ought to drive you to an altar. Some of you got family that's not living for God. That ought to drive you to an altar. Not like Joab that thinks if I play the game and go through the motions, they'll let me skate. This isn't. This isn't, hey, hey, Brother Blake, sing the right song and we'll hop a little bit. Sing that right, sing that coming out of the grave song. I like that song. We'll sing the lyrics but never live them out. Throw your hands towards heaven. I got to. I'm going to instruct you how to pray right now. I want you to pray for a reverence for the altar. I really want, that's how I want you to pray. Give me a reverence for the altar. Give me a love for the altar. Give me a love. Come on, lift your voice right now and pray for a love for the altar. When it hits some young man or some young lady, I want you to run out of where you're seated. And I want you to throw yourself on the altar. And I want you to pray until tears fall on his car. Give me love for the altar. If nobody else in my high school is called to preach, I know I'm called to preach, and i got to love this altar. If nobody else in my school wants to believe truth, I know truth, and i got to love this <laughs> If nobody else in my family believes it, I know that this is right, and I've got to fall in love with the altar. I got to have the altar in my life. I got to have an altar where the old me dies and the new me lives. I got to have an altar. 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 Come on, you 
You confess your faults. He's faithful and just to forgive. But he's doing more than taking away sin right now. He's also depositing some things into the life, into the heart, and into the mind of some young men and some young women that are building altars right now. I know everybody can't get to the front. Some of you got to turn right there at your seat and you got to build an altar where you're at. But the, the, the concept is still the same. You got to cling to that seat, you got to cling to that carpet, you got to cling to that row. But you've got to ask God to let the power of the altar come alive. Our altars have got to be wet with tears. I'm talking about some young lady who's got the call of God on your life. And you know it makes you feel isolated and alone at times. But I refuse to let others speak death to you. I speak life to you right now. Your holiness is beautiful before the Lord. Your righteousness is beautiful before the Lord. I can't get away from this. The second time I felt it, you've been fighting depression. You ought to lay that at the altar. I know you've prayed about it before, but there is something special in the altar for you right now. Been looking in the mirror feeling worthless. Been listening to the lies of your own mind and the lies of it. I curse that in the name of the Lord. Let the altar bring life to you right now.